sinners lost and hopeless. Jesus' blood can make you free, for he saved the worst among you. When he saved a wretch like me to the faith, he giveth power through the mountains, makes a way, findeth water in the desert, turns the night to golden day. And I know, yes I know, yes I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes I know, yes I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. In temptation he is near. Holds the power of hell at bay. Guides you to the path of safety. Gives you grace for every day. He will keep thee while the ages roll throughout eternity. Hinders and hell rages, all must work for good to thee. And I know, yes, I know, yes, I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes, I know, yes, I know, yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Well, amen. What a good song that is. Amen. Aren't you glad His blood can make the vilest sinner clean? Well, you made a good choice to be in God's house tonight. That's a good decision any time to be in the house of the Lord. That's, that's a great decision. Chapter 5, 1 Timothy a lot of places you could be, but you're here. What a, what a great decision you've made. You know, life's about making decisions. We end up in places because we make decisions. You made a good one tonight. You're gonna, that's going to help you get to the place where you really need to be and want to be by being in the house of the Lord. That's a great decision. All right, First Timothy chapter 5. Uh, we're going to begin reading... <clears throat> Let's see here. Let's go ahead and begin reading in uh, verse... Um, I should have changed that, huh? I should change it on mine first, and then I can tell you what we're doing for a change, huh? Let's go ahead and start reading in verse uh, 16. No, make it 17, all right? Let's make it 17. We'll figure it out sooner or later here, all right? Trust me, when we get going, you'll wish that we didn't. No, I'm teasing. Okay, so anyway, here we go. I used to hear Brother Tony Hudson say that, so I just thought I'd try it. It didn't work too good for me. <laughs> All right, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. 
For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee there uh, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now we've been talking and dealing with the, the book of Timothy for quite a while off and on, but uh, we know, of course, Timothy is uh, uh, Paul's protege. We understand that he's his son in the faith. We know that the, Timothy is now the pastor of Ephesus, and the, the apostle Paul is sending a letter to him. He's concerned about him. And he's trying to help him and encourage him. He's facing a number of obstacles in his ministry and in his life. And as a result, Paul's going to help him, encourage him. Now, we, we began talking about a number of things here in this particular chapter. But we, we noted in <clears throat> chapter 5 that he shared some proper relationships, how the church ought to function, how it ought to work. And we, we noted some of those things. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. And we, we recognize the fact that, that that's a really a good way for us to view one another and to look at one another. And it will obviously and ultimately keep us in the right frame of mind and headed in the right direction. And so that's a positive thing. And so, are you, Brother Glenn, is that you sitting on that? That, I, I just making sure you don't need it, okay? I, so I'm on, I think that's Brother Bill's, isn't it? Okay, I just was hoping you didn't really need that tonight, okay? So anyway, okay. All right, good, good. I'm glad you're able to get up and walk around. Unfortunately, Brother Bill can't sometimes, but, but anyway. Those knees, I know, those knees are horrible, brother. All right, so anyway, <laughs> Brother Bill's rubbing his knees over there. He's going, I wish I had a watermelon. But anyway, so, so we see First Timothy 5 there. And then we look, uh, we went on down the road there a little bit, and we saw that he turned his attention to elders. And boy, he turned, when he turned his attention to elders, he kicked it right off uh, it, with, with this element of let the elders that rule uh, well. And uh, we talked about the fact that the elder is to rule. And we discussed some of that, and we moved on into uh, basically the pastor, the elder. And we, we started discussing a couple of facets of the uh, pastorate and some of the things about preachers. And we said we're going to de deal with and discuss their pay. And so he dealt with their pay. And so we talked about their pay. We, I'm talking about their financial monetary pay. And so we noted that. We talked about that for a while. Then we started. We, we noted that he talked about their punishment. Okay, here's what they, they make and all, and here's how you deal with them, you know, and how you honor them and so forth. But then also he said, now listen, this is how you deal with an elder. And we, we recognized and saw that, that you know, you don't receive an accusation of an elder except there be two or three witnesses. And it has to be a formal complaint and it has to be leveled and it has to be addressed that way. Because as we said before, it's sad, but it's a reality that people like to have roast preacher, you know. They enjoy that. That's, that's, it's good eating. And so, you know, especially when it, you know, it's like that right there. But anyway, <clears throat> the fact is, is that it, it does happen, okay? And so he says, now listen, to avoid that, we're going to make sure we're doing things properly. So, you know, we have a means by which it's to be done. 
And so if you're going to make an accusation, if you're going to accuse a, an elder, a, a pastor of a, a, of a crime or a sin or some kind of unethical aspect or immoral issue, then you better have two or three witnesses. And you can't just come up and say things like, you know, well, uh, you know, this, he's a guilty of this. Uh, well, who said? Well, I can't say. You, you can't do that. That's not how it works. It just doesn't work that way. Okay, so anyway, we noted some of those issues as we started talking about that. And then we said, well, if indeed they are found guilty, then guess what? They're addressed and dealt with publicly. That's just all there is to it. They're, they're brought before the congregation. They're dealt with publicly. Their position's extremely public. Therefore, their punishment has to be extremely punished, uh, public. Why? Because it's going to wreak fear in the hearts of others. People are going to recognize that, that nobody gets away with sin. Nobody's going to be able to sweep it under the rug. Everybody has to get called on the carpet when the time comes. And so, you know, we, we recognize that too. So we then finally moved along and we never did get to it. We're going to finish today and then finish the chapter, I trust, today. We're going to note not only their pay, not only uh, their punishment, but then now in verse 21, 22, let's note their practice, their practice, okay? Uh, they have to be real careful here. We're going to see as, as pastors, you have to be careful about a couple of things. And I'm going to say a couple of things uh, today, and I hope that it'll be a blessing and help to you. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we need you. We thank you for all you mean to us and all you do for us. And Lord, tonight, we thank you for this wonderful group that's gathered together in the best place it could possibly be. Lord, what a blessing it is to see each of these faces. And now, Lord, may their hearts be stirred and encouraged, and may we learn something tonight that will help us uh, to better understand the ministry, better understand uh, what we're doing here and why we're gathered. And, Father, just to have a good spirit and a good attitude. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so we're talking about pastors. And, again, we dealt with their pay already. We dealt with their punishment. But then he comes up and he addresses this issue of, if you will, their practice. Verse 21 and 22 I charge thee before God, he says, and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Now, what we're going to see is when he talks about, he says that thou observe these things. He says, I charge thee that thou observe these things without preferring one before another. What things is he talking about? Well, he's talking about honoring and punishing, basically, elders. That's what he's talking about. If you're going to elevate and lift up someone, then, okay, you've got to do it without partiality. If you're going to punish them, you've got to do it without partiality. Everything on an equal plane. And so we're seeing that he's going back to what he's already addressed concerning this issue. And now he's saying, now listen, uh, he says, that thou observest these things. And these things are the honoring and the, the, the punishing, so to speak, of the elders and some of the other things that have been addressed here. So first of all, when we talk about a pastor and a pra their practice, they have to be fair. They have to be fair. Okay? That's just the reality of it. Now, the word translated observe means to guard, to watch, or to, if you will, beware. That's what it means. So uh, that, that word observe there, to guard, to watch, or to beware. So uh, Timothy was to watch out. He was to guard against preferring someone or showing partiality. That's what he was supposed to do. That's what he's being instructed to do. And he had to be careful not to show favoritism toward anyone, okay, anyone. That's important. Not just his family, not just his friends, not just his deacons or his trustees, but anyone. He had to be fair for everyone and anyone. That was important. So we see, we see that that's something he had to deal with, whether it was the big giver in the church. He couldn't show partiality to the big giver. Well, I'm afraid we're going to lose him, so I'm going to go ahead and give in and let him teach a Sunday school class. I'm going to let him be a deacon or a trustee. 
Well, he does, he does this and he does that around the church, and so I guess I'm just going to have to elevate him, even though he doesn't go soul winning. Even, even, though, even though he doesn't uh, follow through with the training. Even though he doesn't do this or do that or do that. No, he doesn't work that way. He can't show partiality. He can't do that. So I don't care how much somebody gives. I don't care how much somebody does. It doesn't matter what the relationship is. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Now, so Timothy's got to be careful. What about their position in society? Oh, maybe they own a big company. And so their company could really help the church. Take, for instance, in our case, somebody in the church was a construction, had a construction company. And all of a sudden now, they're able to help the church. Well, we don't have that in here, but just say we did. Somebody had a construction company, and they're like, hey, you know what, I, I'd be willing to help you all out. Well, man, I'm going to go ahead and show him a little favoritism because I don't want to lose that. And, and man, he, that he could really help the church a lot. So we're going to go ahead and promote him. We're going to go ahead and put him on the trustee board. You can't do that. That's, that's what he's telling Timothy. Don't, don't, don't let that happen. Don't, don't, don't go there. That, that's not how it works. Whether it's uh, that, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. I, I remember years ago I had to make a decision. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of my friends had made a, messed up and had taken a decision, made a bad decision, and I had to remove them out of the position that they were in in the church. Boy, they were upset about that. They said, I, we've been friends all these years. I said, I'm tar- sorry, but you've got to meet the qualifications or you can't be in the position. Let me tell you something. It, it didn't go over good, and they left the church over it. But you know what? Tough break, right? Let me tell you something. Sometimes in that situation, in that situation, that might be purging them. And listen to me. It's never good when anybody leaves the church. But when someone thinks that they have a right or they're entitled to a position because of a relationship that they have with myself or somebody else, too bad. Too bad. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. I remember one time my dad was down at uh, Maslin and one of the young men came to him and said, Hey, listen, uh, you're the pastor's dad, aren't you? He said, Yeah. Pastor over there at Community Baptist? Yeah. He said, Hey, man, listen, uh, you know, I'm going to be a missionary. I was wondering if you can get me in there. My dad goes, you got, i got about as much chance of getting you in there as you do. You better call him yourself. Because that's just the way it works. We don't work that way. Amen. That's not how it works. Because there's no partiality. You don't, win, you don't get kudos. You don't get an extra, stru- you, know, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Brown nosing don't work either. <clears throat> so none of that stuff works, okay? At least he, and he tells Timothy, he says, don't let that happen. You've got to be objective. You've got to be fair. You've got to just see it for what it is. And again, pastors are often accused of, being, of, of exhibiting favoritism based on the short-sighted view of their congregation. Now, did you hear what I said to you? They're accused of showing favoritism because of the short-sighted view of their their congregation. Now, listen to what I mean by that. What I'm telling you is this. You don't always know everything. You assume you know things. And so then you'll look at the pastor and say, man, he's really shown partiality. But you don't know all the facts. If you only knew the truth. Sometimes I can share the truth and sometimes I can't. There's certain times people are not serving this ministry because they don't want to. There's certain times people aren't serving this ministry because they're not qualified. And there's certain times that they look very good to you on the outside, but I know something about them that you don't. And you better be careful before you pass judgment and fry me up and serve me for dinner. Because, see, the truth is is that I can't show partiality or I don't meet the bill of this right here. I don't fulfill the scriptural fulfillment that God says for pastors. I'm not allowed to do that. I don't have that opportunity. Now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. 
Both of you stand up for a second. One position, two men. Both equally qualified. What do I do? What do I do? It doesn't matter what I do. Somebody's going to say I was partial. Doesn't matter. I can pick this one. Come on up. I say, boy, old Cody, he's going to do a good job. Someone says, I don't know why I didn't pick Nate. <laughs> Nate's been there just a longer, longer than, than Cody has. I don't get it. But that's, that's, that's not, you've got to understand something. You, that, just because, listen, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not partial to either one. I just, I probably prayed about it, probably. Amen. I, I hope so. And God sees something down the road that I don't see. Or maybe there's a position for him that he's better suited for, and it's not this one, and we just assume that he's better suited for this because he looks the part. Thanks, guys. I'm just saying, be careful. Our short-sightedness sometimes will really wreck and ruin uh, us, and it will ultimately affect negatively our church. I mean, those missing pieces can spark a lot of unnecessary discussion and sow tragic seeds of distrust among the congregation. I'm telling you, they really can. It can happen. And it happens just like that. It's unbelievable. Every pastor has made decisions and has been subjected to scrutiny and even scorn in light, of, in light of less than all the facts. And that's something that you need to understand. See, that's why I said earlier, remember that he talks about the fact that the pastor's to rule. That means that it's not, we're not in a democracy necessarily. That's not how it works in the church. We've talked about that last week. It's not a democracy. Oh, I'm not stupid enough to believe that I know everything and that I can do anything I want anytime I want. That's ridiculous. I have accountability. I don't go spending money just because I want to spend money, and I don't do those things. We have a budget. have to stick with the budget, work within the budget. I've got things with, with the ministry itself. I have a staff that I go to and ask questions. I've got some trustees and situations. I say, guys, what do you think? Should we move forward with that? Yeah, I understand all that. It's just kind of like a marriage, though, like we talked about. Even as a husband rules in his home, Okay, he's wise if he listens and talks to his wife. He'd be smart to hear her out and get her ob- objective opinion and to see things from her side of it. Man, that's only wise to do. I mean, she's your helpmate, right? I mean, isn't she supposed to be your completer? And so, therefore, we work together. And it's the same with the pastor in his church. He works with the church, doesn't work in opposition to it. But he still has to understand, and, and we still have to keep in mind, that, that, this is, that he rules. And that's an important part. And it's difficult because sometimes he cannot, nor will he always have an answer that will suffice in the church for everyone. There's no way in the world you can get all these people to agree every single time with everything that goes on in this church. It's not going to happen. It's just not. We're all human beings. We're all individuals. And you don't necessarily have to agree, but be very careful how you address those issues. That's all. Be very careful. Because, see, he's, he's, he's got to make decisions. He is being, the pastor is being told, you're not permitted to be partial. Now, if a pastor's partial, and it's obvious, okay, I'm not talking about his family serving in the church. Everybody's supposed to serve in the church. Amen. Let me tell you something. I've got a program that I'm coming out with for adult Bible class leaders. I've got a program. It's going to take over a year for you to get through it. But if you get through it, you will then be qualified to be an adult Bible class leader. You and your wife have to both go through it, though. Then you will be qualified. That doesn't mean you're going to be, that, I mean, you will have, no, take that back. That means you will have passed the requirement to be one, but that doesn't mean you're qualified. Now, listen to what I'm saying to you. It's like getting a degree. Okay, you get a degree in college. Does everybody get a degree, go out and get a job? By no, they don't, do they? 
They don't get, especially they don't necessarily get the job that they worked for. They may end up in another degree, another job, I should say. The point being is, just because somebody goes through this program doesn't necessarily mean they'll be, they'll be guaranteed a spot as an adult Bible class leader. But if you go through all of this, and you do it well, and you follow through, then I can almost tell you, you probably will. <laughs> but that's how we're going to do it. We take away all this mess. There'll be no doubt now. Somebody say, well, I don't understand why so-and-so is not. Well, first of all, they didn't read their Bible together through in a year. Second, they didn't go through the doctrine, the advanced doctrine classes that they have to go through. Thirdly, they didn't go through their separation standards uh, uh, core curriculum that they were supposed to. Fourth, they didn't go soul winning consistently on a regular basis throughout the year in a visible soul winning. Fifth, they weren't faithful in church like they ought to have been faithful in church. See where I'm going with all this now? It's all based on standards. It's all based on qualifications. You've got to follow through. Now, listen, that's, that's how things are supposed to work. People that are qualified get elevated, get lifted up. And, and that's, we're going to take, see, I try to do things to take away those issues. See, I, I try to do that. That's why soul winning is important. Soul winning says what your heartbeat is. Soul winning says what's important to you. Listen, I don't know about you, but if I got a guy standing in front of all a bunch of adults teaching them how to, the word of God, I want to know that his heart is for souls. I want to know he cares about people. I want to know that he's willing to pay the price to, to say, man, I'll be inconvenienced because I care about what's going on in that world and I want to make a difference in someone's life. So some guy comes to church and he's got a lot of money. And boy, he wears the nicest suits. Boy, he looks the part and acts the part. He's kind to all the ladies and all the guys and everybody says, man, he is the, man, he is the cat's meow. But the guy don't even want to go soul winning. I'm sorry, he's not going to be an adult Bible class leader at this church. He's not going to teach adults here. He's just not going to do it. Someone says, well, I don't agree with that. Well, that's the way it works here. That's the way it works. I mean, it's not partial now. You get where I'm going with this? You you can't blame me for it. I'm not partial. Everybody's holding the same standard. The same standard. That's, how, that's why you have certain standards in your church. That's why we say things like the standards of Community Baptist Temple begin at the first step of the platform. The moment you start to elevate and where people can see you, you're visible, the standards begin in the church. Hey, anybody can come to Community Baptist Temple and anybody will minister to them. Anybody will visit them in the hospital. Anybody will be a blessing to and try to encourage and love but if you want to serve a community Baptist temple, then you're stepping up onto the stage, so to speak. And those standards begin there. That's why if you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, you wear a tie if you're a guy. We want those little boys and girls to see somebody that looks professional and somebody that takes serious their job. I don't want them to think that it's just some guy on the street that walked in. They don't know. I want them to say, man, Mr. So-and-so, look at him. He's, wow. When I grow up, I want to be just like him one day. I want them to think that. And I want the ladies, to, I want the girls to think that. I want them to say, man, she's, she's awesome. She's kind. She's sweet. She's nice. You know what one of the, the, the requirements is to be a Sunday school teacher at our church? You have to have a good spirit. You have to wear a smile. If, you, if I can't find out you're not smiling in class and you're not, not having a good spirit, then we have to address that. We have to talk about that and understand why and try to help you find your joy again. Amen. And then if you're determined not to find any joy over time, then eventually we're going to have to say, I'm sorry, but... Man, there's too many impressionable little children here trying to learn about Jesus, and we're teaching them that loving Jesus isn't very happy, isn't very fun. Someone says, you let so-and-so, somebody told somebody, they couldn't teach anymore. 
But you may not know the whole story. Okay, just be careful with that one. Okay? Just be careful, please. Be careful. And that's what he's telling Timothy. He says, listen, you've got a bunch of seasoned veterans in your church. You're younger than they are. They've all got opinions and they've all got ideas and they all know how to do it. At least they think. You're going to have to be the one that rules the church. You're going to have to be the one that runs things. So you be real careful you don't show partiality. Because there's going to be some people when you get there that have been doing things for years. But they might not be doing it the way you believe it ought to be done according to the Word of God. And you may just have to ask them to either get with the program or step down until they do. And don't be partial about it. You've got to be fair or you're going to get your lunch ate, Buster. You better be fair and you better not be partial. And so he's trying to help with that. And so that's true with any pastor. It ought to be that way. I'm not going to say it is that way. I know parents that aren't fair. I know teachers in school that aren't fair. I know bosses that aren't fair. So you know what I know for sure? I'm sure there's some preachers that aren't too fair either. I guarantee you that too. But that doesn't change what is supposed to be. It ought to be. I didn't always think my dad was fair. I, I didn't. You know, I asked him to go spend the night one time at a friend's house. He wouldn't let me spend the night. And I said, that ain't fair. And I got ticked off and I won't even go into the rest. Let's say I didn't win. He said, I'll show you fair. <laughs> it was, yeah. I'd have been happy to stay home. But anyway, wow. So it's in our culture, isn't it? And, and, and let's be honest. What's the first thing a child always screams when they don't get their way? What, what do they say? That's not fair. Hold on now. Listen to me, and please don't be offended by this. Baby Christians are very tempted to cry the same thing. I mean, I'm just, let's just call it like it is. So if there are people that are crying it ain't fair all the time, then it could very be, well be a, that they're exhibiting their immaturity spiritually. Okay? I, I'm not trying to be nasty. That's what kids do physically. Spiritually, it runs right into the spiritual life. So, you know, just, hey, listen, I'm not talking about, you. hey, listen, that, that door's open over there in that office. You're welcome to talk to me about anything you want. You ain't going to offend me like that. You say, well, I'm going to tell you I don't agree with it. Oh, that's fine. Tell me you don't agree with it. You might be surprised what I'll tell you in private that I would never tell you publicly. You may learn things. And there will be some things that maybe I'll start to say and have to stop and go, mm, can't go there. But I'm telling you, any pastor that's worth his salt cares what the people think. They're his... He's the under-shepherd. He loves the people, and he wants the people to grow. And if they somehow think he has an agenda to elevate himself, they're going to be very hesitant to allow him to minister to them. And Paul's telling Timothy, listen, you better be real careful because there are some people that are seasoned in there. And if they get 
If they think somehow that you are not being fair and impartial, it's going to be rough on you and your ministry. You're not going to accomplish what you're there to do because they will not allow you to. And so any pastor that's worth his salt cares about how the people feel and what they think. And so he wants them to understand that. I hope that any pastor would be that way, that he's not doing anything just to do it. He's doing it because it has a purpose, everything with a purpose. And sometimes it's understandable and sometimes it's not. Uh, Just like I didn't understand what my dad was doing sometimes. As I grew older, I realize now why he did what he did. And sometimes we just have to trust sometimes the authority that God puts over us. Now, he has to be patient too. This is important. Patience is important. Number 22, he says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Paul begins to tell Timothy not to lay hands on somebody suddenly. Now, look, take your Bible, look at 1 Timothy 4.14. Just go back just a little bit because we're going we're gonna to note this aspect here of, I mean, to fully understand that verse in its context, we need to understand it through the Word. So notice what he says here in uh, chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the what? Laying on of the hands of the presbytery, okay, laying on of the hands. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 now. He says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Okay, so what we're seeing here in verse 22 when he says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, what we're really saying is, don't ordain, don't put somebody into the ministry Suddenly, too quickly. In both of these places, the reference is to ordination again. And, and so we have to keep that in context. We have to be real careful when promoting people in the ministry. Whether it's, and again, the context is to the ministry. You know, I mean, to, to ordaining someone. We have to be very careful. But I do think that that carries over into every ministry. We have to be careful that we don't just, I guess, if you will, promote people into positions without the opportunity to examine their character and examine their their heart. Uh, People blow into the church, and within a week or two, they're going, you know, hey, listen, I, I can sing. I'll be glad to do solos. Okay, thank you. They blow in and say, boy, I, I just want you to know I've had a teaching ministry for years and uh, I could uh, certainly take a class and teach it in a very, uh, it'd be a very a blessing to your people. Thank you. Thank you. See, you get where I'm going with this? That happens all the time. And Pastor O'Donnell says, hmm, I'd like to see what you're going to do when you're not at church. I'd like to hear how you're living. I'd like to know where your heart really is. Anybody, and I, I say this, and please don't misunderstand it. I always say this. Anybody can teach a lesson. It's just You just do certain things. You, you, you do what you're told to do, and you go, step one, you read that line. and if, I mean, if that's what you call teaching. I don't, I don't want people up there reading off a piece of paper. I want people sharing their heart. Amen. 
and their life. I want them to give something to me. And as the pastor, I want them to give something to you. That comes from a lifetime experience. I, I, I had an opportunity to preach in a church where I had uh, went to help, and, and the pastor would go away for a couple of weeks at a time, and he would let me preach for two solid weeks and take care of the church and run everything. And Man, that was exciting for me. And a guy came up to me after a message one day, and he said to me, he said, how long did that message take you to put together? I said, 29 years. And he said, no, I mean, no, no, I mean, how long did it take you to, to organize and, you know, put the message and the message you preached today? I said, 29 years. He said, I'm not asking you how old you are. I'm asking you how long it took you to put the message together. I said, there's 29 years in that message. Took me 29 years to come up with that right there. I wasn't trying to be sarcastic, and I wasn't trying to be a smart, smart, uh, smart butt or what, you know, smart Alec. That's what I was trying to say. I've been hanging around Brother Rick too much at the over there at the carousel. I wasn't trying to be that smart Alec. That's it. I wasn't trying to be that. You know what I was trying to be? Honest. And I'm going to tell you something. You know what? Somebody that doesn't have it all around isn't really given what God wants them to give. And so we try to protect that. And you've got to be patient before you start all of it. Some of these young guys, they're going to go off to Bible college. I hope they do. Some of them might. Some of them might go to, to what we're going to eventually have, a little bit different than anywhere else, but we're going to have something here soon. And, and they may do that. I don't know. But just because they go through school doesn't mean that they're prepared to be put into the ministry yet. As we're going to see here, look, if you will, over in the book of Numbers, chapter 4. Numbers, chapter 4. Paul understood what this was about. He's telling Timothy, you're going to have to be patient before you put people in the ministry, before you elevate them in ministry, whether it's full-time ministry or whether it's even the church itself. You need to be careful. Notice what he says here. Because Paul was familiar with this apprenticeship of the Old Testament, if you will. Priests, as we're going to see here in a minute, in a sense had an apprenticeship. Notice chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Take the sum of the sons of Korah from among the sons of Levi after their families by the house of their fathers, from 30 years old and upward until even 50 years old, all that enter into the host to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. Notice again, from 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old. But now turn to chapter 8, verse 24. Notice what he says here. Chapter 8, verse 24. This is it that belongeth unto the Levites from what? Twenty and five years old and upward they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Notice again, in this passage, they're 25. The other, they're 30. You know what I believe is really going on? There's a probationary period between the ages of 25 and 30. In one place, they're there, but they're not consecrated or separated under that service until they've spent five years in preparation. There's a five-year probationary period, it seems like. So what he's saying is, okay, so yeah, you're, you're a priest, if you will, but until you can truly be consecrated unto this service, we're going to give you five years to prepare and ready yourself. 
I go to Bible college for three years these days, or maybe four. And, and I, listen, I, I'm not knocking schools. I, I went to a Bible college. But let me tell you something. I have watched this. I've been reading a little bit more. And I'm looking back on schools. Um, I don't know who was, I was talking to about. I don't know if it was you, Brother Mark, or somebody else. But uh, we were talking about how in the past, and around the turn of the century, the 1900s, even on up into the 40s and 30s, you went away to college. You got a four-year degree usually. Then you went to two years of seminary. Then you usually had sometimes even two more years of preparation before you were permitted to go into the ministry. Can you imagine? I mean, think about the, the time that was invested in study and preparation. I mean, you had a, you had a well-rounded secular education. So you understood some things. that You knew mathematics. You knew geography. You, you understood some things that matter in the world that can help you deal with people. But then you spent two to four years learning just the Word of God. And that was before you were even considered for the ministry. One of the biggest problems I had when I taught Bible college, I could not find for the most part, there were always exceptions to this rule. I could not find a young man or even young ladies that could write. They can't spell. They can't do any sentence structure. They don't know how to write a paragraph. It's run-on sentences and all kind of crazy. I'm like, what in the world? Folks, the job of the ministry is communicating. And we got young men and young ladies going to Bible college can't even write. And you know what we do? We pass them. Because they got a good heart. Good heart. They're trying hard. I, last I checked, you have to be apt to teach. Come on, amen. Amen. I'm not trying to, I'm not running the ground. I'm just telling you this. There's more to the ministry than just passing an Old Testament, New Testament survey class. Amen. And it goes well beyond what you learn educationally. It goes into your life. It goes into your character. It goes into what you've done and the, 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 the sacrifices you've made as well. And he's telling Timothy, do not promote people without viewing them, not just at the church, but their life. See where they're at. Understand what their heart is, not just what it appears on the outside. So be patient. Exhibit caution in choosing an elder a deacon, or some official position, be careful. Be very patient and careful and cautious in accusing a person for, uh, of uh, accusing somebody uh, of a, uh, say, a moral or ethical issue, especially when dealing with the pastors. Be careful with that before you bring them before the church. Be careful. Be careful in restoring someone that's been disciplined. Don't just, just don't, be careful with that, he's saying. Be very careful. You say, why? Because if we restore too soon, then we give the idea that their sin wasn't that big a deal. And others even may get the idea that that sin wasn't a big deal. So you have to be careful that you don't move too quickly. Someone says, well, we're here to forgive. Yes, but remember, we're also here to restore and to ultimately prepare them and enable them to overcome, not to fall prey to that again. You, you, you want to know one of the reasons why I'm convinced now why he tells Timothy not to 
not to promote somebody or put somebody in the ministry too soon. Can I tell you why? I'm going to use an illustration of it. Here it is. When I was a boy, I had my first bike given to me. And I remember my parents always saying, put the kickstand down. Don't let that lay on the side. Put your kickstand down. When I turned 11, I had to buy my own bike. So I had to go out and work. I made $3 a week. And I bought a $63 bicycle. You, you figure it out. Let me tell you something. Jump off my bike. Kickstand down. Get away from the bike. Don't breathe on the bike. You want to know why? It cost me something. I didn't want it to get damaged. I didn't want it to get hurt. I didn't want to lose it. I paid good money for that. I worked hard for that. That cost me something. You know what I've learned through the years? Unless something costs us something, we don't really care if we lose it. Can I tell you something? The ministry is the same way. It's gotten so cheap that men are falling left and right. It's got to cost something. That's why there's journeymen's in here. Some of you have went through two and three years of school and you've, or four years of school before you could get put on the job and actually make top wage. And you thought, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. What they were really doing is you could do the work probably after the first two years. The problem is they want you to pay the price because they don't want you just to come in and then fly out when you've made enough money. They want to say, man, I put four years into this. I'm not quitting now. I'm just saying, they, they know you're going to be less likely to leave that job. They've trained you, spent all that time and money into you. They don't want you taken off now. So they make it a little tougher, last a little longer so it costs you something. That way you don't leave so quick. Same way with Timothy. And same way in the ministry. We do have to be careful with this. So anyway, we see that to be the case, all right? Now, I'm going to close this out because of time, but... 1 Timothy 5.23, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Let's be honest. What's going on here is simply this. We know Timothy's not permitted to drink or have anything of the vine, so we understand that. It's quite clear. There have been some that have said that, well, the reality is is that the ancients have always used uh, uh, wine or grape juice because, see, the problem is with wine, the word wine incorporates and includes both alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages. And there's some that will say that this was not alcoholic beverage, that this was actually just grape juice because the, 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 the healing factor in any kind of uh, wine is not in the alcohol, it's in the grape juice itself. And so there's, there's those sides of it, and people say that. But here's what I'm going to tell you. It doesn't matter to me whether this was alcohol or whether it wasn't. It, it doesn't really matter to me. What I do know and what I see in, the, in, the, in the, the, the Bible here is that Paul says to him basically, listen, you've got a stomach problem. You're having a lot of issues here. You're really struggling with this physical infirmity that you have. And so here's what I want you to do. And understand that in those days, many times there were a number of parasites and all kind of impurities in the waters. It was a lot different than it is today. And so instead of drinking water, Timothy, I want you to use a little wine for your stomach's sake. I want you to take some medicine. That's really what he's telling him. This is, not a, this is not an opportunity for us to socially drink. That's not what he's trying to tell us. This isn't to have a drink at dinner every night, you know, a glass of wine. 
in joy. No, this is literally, this guy is in pain and he's suffering. And he's saying, listen, I want to give you something. I want you to, and he's just suggesting, he's telling him, listen, this is what I advise you to do. He's not telling him he has to, but he's advising him. Use a little wine for the stomach's sake. Go ahead, take a little bit of this and use it. Now, as a pastor, he was totally abstinent. We, we know this. We understand this. Obviously, it was clear because he focuses on the water here. Notice again, no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. So obviously, Timothy was drinking water quite a bit. And he wasn't drinking of the vine. And Paul says, Timothy, I'm just going to advise you. I think you really need to take this step because I think it will help you tremendously. And so I, I don't know if Timothy ever did or not really doesn't tell us in the scriptures, does it? Do you know what he's saying? You're going to have to pray about it from time to time. You may have something that has alcohol in it. Maybe you're going to take something and you think, man, I can't. I don't want to drink no alcohol. I'm a Christian. I want to stay away from that. I don't want anybody thinking I'm trying to get drunk. I mean, there were drunks that used to drink, you know, cough medicine because of that alcohol base in it. I'm not going to take any of that. And he's saying, listen, uh, I'm not telling you if Timothy did or didn't. What I'm telling you is if you're using it for medicine, it's a little bit different than if you're just using it to drink, okay? That's all we're saying. Okay, and now if you come in here and you're teaching Sunday school and you're going, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, I just had some cough medicine. Uh, we may say you're not allowed to have your cough medicine before you come in and teach. Okay, uh, so anyway, all right. Okay, well anyway, we're going to end right there. Okay, but let's be careful. Again, I know these these lessons on Wednesday night have been a little different. I know that. I, I'm trying to share my heart with you a little bit. Okay. The Word of God is very practical, folks. It's very practical. It's, it's not some... Doctrine is not something that is, like, out of grasp. It's out of reach. It, it actually... You apply it. You, you, you live it. And uh, so I, I'm trying to just be kind of, I don't know, a little bit transparent here in some areas. And, uh, you know, I just hope that you can appreciate that. And like I say, um, we are blessed here. <laughs> we have had a church for 22 years. That has, and I'm, I'm just going to say, has stood behind their pastor. I mean, Amen. I mean, stood behind their pastor. I mean, the last three years, let's face it. I mean, how many, you, many of you have been here for the last three years, here, in this, right here. And you know where we came from and where we've been. And let me tell you, you're still here. I mean, you're, I mean, I don't know, either you guys are totally crazy or you're the most loyal group I've ever met in my life. Maybe a little both. <laughs> but really, thank God for that. Not too much longer, folks. Let's hold on, okay? Let's stay faithful. Let's keep going and keep reaching out to people. I love seeing those young people. Heard, got, heard a couple got saved at the youth rally. I felt the Lord was going to do that. I really did. Praise God he did. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. Father, we thank you for these that have gathered tonight. And